1: Welcome back to the Manchester United weekly podcast, it's Series 5, Episode 30, and we're talking about a 5-0 rout against Club Bruges in the Europa League at Old Trafford, and a tough 1-1 draw with Everton at Goodison Park. As always, we'll give you our extensive youth and women's roundup as well. Enjoy the show. Solskjaer has won the European Cup for Manchester United! It's absolutely astonishing! The double
0: is definitely Manchester United.
1: Too far for Ronaldo to think about
0: it. Absolutely sensational! It's red in Russia. This English night in Europe is Manchester United's night.
1: We'll get started with the show as normal in a second. But first, thank you to everyone who has left us reviews on iTunes recently. I said I'd give you a shout-out in the last episode, so I will. Um, We asked you to give us reviews, and quite a few responded, to be fair. A listener in Norway said, Great balance podcast, keep up the good work. Great late girl in the US said, What a treasure for United fans. Well-informed, brutally honest, no pandering. They make you feel part of the conversation. And K Bud 1787 said, The best man United podcast, full stop. We had some from Canadia. Canadia, weird some from... (laughs) We had some from from Canadian uh, Coop who said, my favourite United podcast, Prince5450, said it's the best United podcast out there and they love hearing the academy and the women's team and how they're doing. He's from the UK and we had one from New Zealand, who said, I love this podcast. Um, So thank you to everyone who's left, there were a few more as well. Um, The podcast was briefly removed from iTunes last week because we had the the nerve to use a small (laughs) section of the Manchester United badge in our podcast artwork, so... um, iTunes removed us at the request of Manchester United. so that we, We've changed our logo and lost uh, a few ratings. So if you can, join the others we've just mentioned and and leave us a rating or if you've got a bit more time, a review as well. Um, let's go on with the show. Let's talk about Manchester United, Everton. Uh, one more draw at Goodison, as I said in the intro. A, a, a massive chance for United to move into the top four. We would have leapfrogged Chelsea on goal difference had we won at Goodison. Um, but typically in the last few years, it's, it's been a ground with some, some serious problems for, for United. And, and that continued after about three minutes when David De Gea did the the inexplicable. And I think we should probably start there, to be fair, Jack. Um, I, think, I think it's quite a reasonable place to start. <laughs>
0: I don't think you can start anywhere else. Yeah.
1: And uh, more than commenting on the mistake, which is obviously well th- th- there's not much you can say about it it's it's uh, roy keane said he should be lynched at half time which was perhaps the the more extreme end of the spectrum of of, <laughs> of these opinions um and he, he described him as arrogant i'm not sure that's the right thing i think it was just a bit of a bit of lethargy it was ju- it, it it was too casual and that and that was obvious but the the more pertinent question is what does manchester united do with david de Gea, dean henderson sergio Romero... And all of the the talented goalkeepers at the club.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think Roy Keane is really just making a living out of uh, just controversial statements about how violently he wants to hurt a, a myriad of <laughs> footballers at this point. Talk
1: about the hairdryers! It's turned into the the halftime lynching yeah. of Roy Keane. I think
0: he'd be throwing the hairdryers across the room at the players. <laughs> but I think it, you know, it definitely is a is a conundrum. I think going forward for United, th- this goalkeeper situation, I don't think. David De Gea has really done too much wrong this season. I know there's been a stat flying around that he had he's had the most errors leading to goals in the last two years, but most of that was came at the back end of last season where he, he went through a genuine slump. This season, he, he definitely hasn't been at the heights that we've seen him from previous years, but he's not been a problem for us. He's not been a liability. I think ultimately this probably comes down to what Dean Henderson is willing to do and whether he is willing to to keep being sent out on loan for a couple more years before coming yeah. back and being United starter, or if he if he now is at a point in his career where he's saying either I'm I'm your number one, yeah, or I, I'm think out. Cause I think it's because I think
1: I think he's close to that point. I think from from what he's said about his ambition is clearly to be Manchester United's number one, and it's not just some kind of it's not it's not just words he in terms of signing a new contract last year was a perfect time for him to leave and to to join Sheffield United on a permanent basis and, and stay there before he earned yeah. a, a move to a bigger club he signed a new deal at united clearly convinced by some stuff they say but his ambition is to be united number 1 so i think he he would go on another loan move and i think one season would be the most because he's now 24 say he's coming back at the age of 25 26 that's that, that's your, your breaking point he either needs to be number one or not
0: and I, and I think I think Sheffield United having such a good season probably is, has made that a more realistic possibility because yeah you know he definitely wouldn't go back to a championship team and I think especially being in a team who look like they might now be getting European football as well probably makes him a, a little bit more willing to go back to Sheffield United for another season and and see that's it true, as yeah. a good way to still be progressing
1: yeah I think I think that's definitely true and and the, the type of club that Sheffield United did as well, it's, it's near to Manchester. Um, he's, it, it's, it's a very easy continuation to, to have been at Sheffield United for two years, to carry it on for a third and then come back to, to play for United. United basically have three options, which the first one is sell David De Gea instantly, be completely ruthless about it, um, get £350,000 of wages off, off the, the weekly budget and put all your faith in 24-year-old Dean Henderson with Romero as backup. Uh, Or you keep De Gea in the summer, bring Henderson back, and have some some genuine competition, which could be brilliant for both of them. And the third option is you keep De Gea, send Henderson on loan, as we've just said, for one more season. And if it's as good as this one, you bring him back and you sell De Gea. Yeah,
0: I think it really does come down to what Dean Henderson sees as, as the way forward for him, because I think pretty much everyone would agree that Dean Henderson, at this point, looks like he is... The future of the goalkeeper position for Man United, regardless of, of how well David De Gea does for the rest of the season, regardless of how well he he may do next season as United goalkeeper, I think pretty much everyone accepts at this point that Dean Henderson is probably the future, and I think we we can't take the risk of of letting him walk away, of letting him leave, and it, yeah, if definitely it does not. come to a point where he says this is it, I'm either I'm either number one or I'm out for good then I think for the sake of our future, it is time to then say to David De Gea, you either leave or, or you, you know, take a backup role, which I doubt he would do, and we probably wouldn't want him to do as a being as being paid that much. So I think it 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 really does come down to what Dean Henderson sees as his immediate future. I think the ideal scenario probably would be for him to get another season in with Sheffield United in the Premier League, possibly playing in Europe as well, then to come back when De Gea can sort of be pushed out. And Henderson take over for the start of the season after next.
1: Yeah, I think there's there's two things worth mentioning. One is that De Gea has, has done so well for United and and stayed at the club. When yes, he he, he looked like he was going to leave, but as as things stand, has been a loyal servant to Manchester United. He's I think he's a 32nd all time appearance maker in in the club's history. Wow, which is incredible given. He's 29, um, and it, it kind of feels it, it feels like he's been here a long time, but not not that long. He's ahead of he's ahead of Olegan he's ahead of, ahead of Patrice Evra, big big name players in in United's history, club legends. It's worth remembering that, and and that United, I think as as fans and the club shouldn't be so quick to to just say, oh, we can get rid of the hair because he, he, he's a brilliant goalkeeper and someone who's stayed at the club for a long time. But it's also worth saying. The, the the job that United's coaching staff and the way that they've managed Dean Henderson in terms of what clubs he's gone out to on loan, how those loan moves have been managed, how they've signed him to a new contract, is it, something that absolutely deserves praising. This is United have potentially produced a goalkeeper for the next decade out of their own academy, um, and and that's that's something to be to be admired. Um, Eric Steele, who brought and, and look
0: at the, the the job that the coaches have done with De Gea as well. I mean, I know it's not been it's not been the same coach coaching staff the whole way through, but I mean, you look at the David De Gea's what was what it now ten year career pretty much. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's been a, 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 a I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's been an almost miraculous rise that De Gea's gone through. I mean, the first couple of years we never thought. He would have a United career at all, let alone becoming what I think now is pretty much universally agreed to be a club legend. So, I mean, it, it is a testament to how well United have not only managed the Dean Henderson situation, but how much the actual day-to-day coaching is really, really positive and really effective at United. Yeah,
1: right. We should move on to talk about the actual game in a second. Um, but I think I think one thing United will consider is that you move to a hey, I- off away from the club you save at least £250,000 a week in, in wages and that's something United have been looking at in in what they do sensibly. Does that mean I think this decision should be based off who who's going to be earning less? No, but I think it's something that's worth bearing in mind. Let's talk about the actual game. United drew 1-1 in the end, managed to uh, initially managed to salvage a point from a, a position of a terrible position in, in the opening five minutes where we conceded a stupid goal, almost conceded another another one or two, actually, but then dominated the first half and, and probably should have gone in at half-time winning. And you ended this match thinking this was a, a missed opportunity.
0: Yeah, I came out of this game, it was a weird feeling. I didn't know whether to be pleased, obviously, because of the way it ended with the controversially disallowed goal for Everton, feeling like we'd escaped, or whether it was a huge missed opportunity based on what happened to Chelsea I actually think, to be fair, after the first five or ten minutes, we actually were very good in the first half. We moved the ball really quickly. I mean, Bruno Fernandes, not even just for his own performance, but for the way he impacts everyone else, has made a, I mean, a far bigger difference than I ever thought that he would. It's it's quite incredible watching now how much more purpose and how much quicker we, are, we move the ball and we're going forward. We look like a completely different team, even when we're playing against sides that tend to sit back. And, and try and soak up pressure. I'm not saying we, we necessarily are carving teams open all the time, but we just look so much more likely to create chances. And how we managed to not score until Bruno Fernandes is gone, yeah. what was it, around the 30th minute, um, was was beyond me. We were creating a lot of chances, going putting Everton under, Everton under a ton of pressure. So it was actually nice to watch us in the first half come back from the original mistake by De Gea so well. The problem was in the second half when it was back to the days of just not having any control over the game whatsoever in the second half. And I mean we were in the end lucky to escape with a point because, you know, despite the great chance for Fernandez and Nigalo right at the end, we were pretty dire in the second half. Yeah.
1: I think the the second half was really disappointing and it's 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 a real shame because we, we, we played as you say, we we did well to bounce back from the De Hare mistake and and did so pretty much instantly um, within a couple of minutes united had taken control of the game helped by some some genuine quality in the team in in Bruno Fernandes by the end you were thinking we were pretty lucky to get away with a draw and that's i think that's uh, as i said before it's it's a, it's a real missed opportunity in terms of the defense though harry maguire was fantastic uh, a kind of unbeatable aerial performance and we have someone who's fit to wear the the captain's armband again. Yeah. And I think that and and the performance of Bruno Fernandes in the United didn't play particularly well over the whole course of the game and, and managed to get a point because of a bit of magic from Bruno Fernandes the the new signing is again a reminder of of how good the signings we have made have have been for the club. Oh,
0: absolutely. And I think Harry Maguire to be fair I think he went through a bit of a dip in form. Around the Christmas period and in January, but since being given the captain's armband, he's really stepped up, and his performances have gone up to another level completely. He was brilliant against Everton, and I think you're really yeah. starting to see him now as well, kind of prove his quality over Victor Lindelof too. I think you know not that Lindelof has been particularly bad in recent weeks, but I think you're just starting to see the the sort of different levels of quality that Maguire and Lindelof possess. And I think Maguire is clearly sort of the superior of the, of the two centre backs there. And I've got, and I think he is proving that he was the right decision as captain because he does look like a proper leader on the pitch, does seem like we are a bit more organised now and he, and he's leading from the front. And I, I mean, I almost don't really know what to say turning to, to Bruno Fernandes. It, it's hard to kind of quantify the, the impact that he's had on this team because obviously three goals in three games now, but less about the stats and more just about the impact that he has on the way that we play. He allows us to do so much more with the ball. I mean, the Club Bruges game last week was the the second leg at Old Trafford, I think the best, at least in the first half, the best performance from a United team that I've seen. I tweeted since the start of the yeah since the start of 2017 18 when we finished second and we were beating teams four 0 for fun. Yeah, but I mean, and you know, it obviously comes with all the all of the usual caveats that it was against Club Bruges who had ten men for a decent portion of that first half. But I've not seen us. Create that many chances and genuinely carve teams open like that in a long, long time. It really was every single time we went forward. Every time we had the ball, we looked like we were going to score, and it was brilliant to see us be quite ruthless and actually put away a lot of those chances and really put the game to bed very, very early on.
1: Yeah, it was. A, it was a. It was a brilliant day for quite a lot of reasons. Five goals, but also those goals were being scored by players. You perhaps. We've been looking to score for for a while and, and haven't been doing so. So Fred got two, which was um, a little unbelievable. Scott McTominay yeah. got another on his return from injury, and then one for the the main man, Odin Agarlo. And it was it really was. It was a, a fantastic game, and it was also a, a sign of how. Fernandez has helped the players around him become better. Juan Mata had his best United performance yeah. for quite a long time. McTominay and Fred have, have both looked good. Matic has looked even better in his in his renaissance period in, in his United career. Um, the resurgence of the Mani Matic has been one of the, the big storylines of the last two months. And I think but,
0: especially for players like Matic and McTominay, it puts less pressure on them to do as much going forward. You know, they're both, yeah. especially in McTominay's case, they are capable of, of being good players for us going forward but it takes the pressure off them they don't need to become as involved and I think that's where especially in Matic's case who just isn't as mobile as he used to be when he tries to go forward then loses the ball he, he then doesn't have the, the mobility anymore to make up that ground where now they don't need to play that role quite as much because
1: Fernandez has made such an impact I think what's what's amazing about Fernandez is he's it's, it's already it's been a month since he made his debut basically um, about 32 days or something just over a month and already yeah. i kind of feel that it it's it's boring talking about how well he's playing because you don't really normally with a, a new signing you you feel like you're just going to talk about it and talk about it because you're you're judging their performance every week but now it just seems like a a given that Bruno Fernandes is going to be Manchester United's best player on the pitch he just he, he hasn't even <laughs> yeah. he's, he's not blinked since he joined the club and he's he's instantly become perhaps the, the leader of the dressing room alongside Harry Maguire. He's, he's been doing everything we expect of him and more. Um, he's been winning us games. He's been rescuing points against Everton. And even most summer signings don't have the the impact quite like this. But to come in in January for a, a relatively big fee and just seamlessly fit in and instantly become one of the leaders at the club is, is, is something that I think is worth mentioning again and again, even though eventually it will become quite quite dull to speak about it
0: yeah, I mean there's a reason why January transfer window isn't very popular because it's isn't. It's very 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 rare that you see a player like come in like this and make such an instant impact and I was trying to rack my brains and think about the last time a United signing has come in and made such an instant impact and I'm honestly not sure the, the two that, that spring to mind are Zlatan but I don't think his impact was this big straight away and and I almost don't want to say this because I don't want to even think about the possibility that Fernandez may end up like this, but potentially Di Maria in the first f- couple of games until it all went south. But I mean, can you think yeah, of any maybe. any other signings? But I think I don't think Di Maria's impact
1: was no, this definitely big. not. And I remember his debut against Burnley was a a nil nil draw, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah.
0: Well, I think I think Di Maria showed us in each of the first few games. Moments of real quality, and I mean the Leicester chip against Leicester sticks out. Yeah, but it was never this consistent on like impacting pretty much every single time we, the only, we got. The only the
1: ball. one I can compare it to, and he wasn't actually a leader of the team; he was just leading in terms of goals. Was Van Persie he instantly came in scored against? Yeah, was it Everton or Fulham on his on his debut in the Premier League? I remember it being a. I think it was a Monday night game because he scored against Everton. I think Fellaini scored as well. Um, yeah, but yeah, he came in and instantly started scoring. But this is. And I, I don't want to get too carried away because I think in the same way that, with Paul Pogba that the the more we rely on Bruno Fernandez, the less good he's going to be. So, oh I've, yeah, absolutely, he, he needs some help around him. I think Rashford coming back eventually will will certainly help that. I've got, got to should, say
0: though, I think sorry, sorry, I should carry because yeah, that no, we, we should
1: go back to the, the the tactics that United used against Everton, um, a four four two diamond in midfield, Bruno at the at the tip of that, Fred and McTominay in front of Nemanja Matić. It went, it seemed to go um, quite well, but more importantly, is is that set up for Paul Pogba to return into? Is it a sign that Pogba's coming back into the team when he does return from injury?
0: Well, yeah, it's something that uh, I can't remember if I, if I said it on the podcast or, or if I tweeted it, but it is an exciting system because you look at a midfield of potentially McTominay at the base of that diamond, Fred and Pogba, and the two middle portions of it, and then Bruno Fernandes at the tip of the diamond, that suddenly from a midfield that was looking pretty horrific a few months ago suddenly starts looking like actually a very solid and very exciting midfield quartet. I don't know if the diamond is a system that we can rely on every single week. I, it It's very, very narrow. And when, especially when you have fullbacks who, I mean, I don't think our fullbacks are terrible, but going forward, they're certainly not the best in the league. Obviously, Wan-Bissaka's limitations going forward are well documented and as, as well as Brandon Williams has done this season and Luke Shaw is, has played well recently. We I don't know if they're the kind of fullbacks we can rely on to provide excellent service consistently. But I think that diamond system is potentially something that could enable us to get our best players on the pitch. And I think that that's what a system should should be all about because I think those four in midfield with probably Martial and Rashford up top probably is our best eleven. At least in terms of the, the the individual players that are on the pitch, not necessarily the system they would be playing. Yeah,
1: I think it's I think what what you do with this United team now is isn't so obvious, and I think that's in in a way it's a good thing because in the past it's kind of been well we've only got eleven players yeah. who can really put out the pitch if if that and be confident in their ability. Um, at least now we, we've got some choice, particularly in midfield, which is probably United's strongest area now at least temporarily. And we'll actually, we'll talk about more about how you set up the defence four or five man when we're talking about the City game because that's, a guess, uh, City and Derby will offer some insight into how we set up against two very different teams. One where United are favourites and one where United are underdogs. Before we move on to, to that, any anything else to add on the, on the well, Everton game? Well, I just game? want
0: to quickly go back to the, the Club Bruges game, actually, and what I was going to say before. Yeah. Odio Nigalo, I mean, obviously got his goal and, you know, it was it was a brilliant a moment. Brilliant moment. But fair fair fucking play. I mean, he was brilliant. He genuinely was brilliant for us. I thought the way the way that he actually came in and acted as a proper centre forward for us, he he was a brilliant target man. Not not in that we were playing long balls, but especially for someone when we had Br- both Bruno Fernandes and Juan Mata, who are very very willing to make third man runs in behind. It actually worked very very well with having. A striker who was willing to come a little bit deeper, receive the ball with his back to goal, bring the midfielders in into play, and then you had the likes of Mata Fernandez coming and, and making those those runs in behind. And I actually it actually made me think that he could be with him uh, as centre forward and Martial out, out on the left, where I think that is probably still Martial's best position while Rashford is out injured, could be a, a very very good way for us to set up in games. Yeah not necessarily just using Igalo as someone we use when we want to rest Martial but actually playing them together because it actually worked extremely well for us having a bigger focal point around which our midfield could play
1: I I do think United's strongest front line at the moment is Martial on the left Igalo up top and Greenwood on the right and I think you you might be able to bring Dan James into that but I think he just needs a rest at the moment so I'm, I'm discounting him for now and especially now you've got Bruno Fernandes behind can have Martial drifting in Greenwood drifting in And I I think that's something that works. I mean, I think
0: I I saw more passes between the lines against Club Bruges and actually vertical passing, which we've we've banged on about for three years on this podcast about how (laughs) we don't have any vertical passing lanes, which I actually think was partly because we didn't have the quality in the midfield, but also because our strikers aren't the kind of people that want those, those vertical passes into their feet. They want to be running in behind. But I think I saw more in the club Bruges game than I have in the last four years.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I think that's a lot to do with Bruno, but also having someone who's playing in their back to goal. And I, it, it was just in a in, in in elite football where you don't get these moments that much anymore. To see to see a a Manchester United fan to see a Manchester United fan score at Old Trafford, having reached the age of thirty one, thirty two, and obviously thinking it was never going to happen, was uh, uh, just it was it was such a nice. I moment. was
0: it was it was brilliant. I was. Willing him on to score for the, for pretty much the entire game. Every time he got the ball, I was like, "Is this is this the moment? Is this the moment?" Yeah. I, I, I'm just so happy to find Right,
1: it. let's move on to our Youth and Women's Roundup. Manchester United are into the semi-finals of the FA Youth Cup after goals from 16-year-old Shola Shortire and 17-year-old Deji Satona. That secured a 2-1 win against Wigan Athletic at Old Trafford. United will now play Chelsea at Stamford Bridge in the semi-final. Captain of the side, Ted Mengi, put in a, another exemplary performance to keep Wigan out in the second half. He's a seriously good defender. Uh, his reading of the game is, is superb. It's improved a lot since he started playing in the under-23s and he's Got the speed, the, the power and the passing ability to make the most of it. The under-23s survived a late barrage from Stoke City on Monday night and managed to hold on to achieve a 3-2 victory in Premier League 2. United had begun electrically scoring three times in the first half. James Gardner got two of those goals and Angel Gomez scored once. Teeth Chong played fantastically before being subbed off in the seventy fifth minute. I've I've written and spoken about why he's not performing with the the same verve and and fluency in the first team, and I think it mainly comes down to two things: Uh space um, and confidence. The space argument's obvious; he's he's just not yet good enough to thrive in in the small spaces under pressure in the Premier League, but also the confidence. He he goes into under twenty three games looking like he. He knows he's the best player on the pitch. Uh, he fits that that humble but arrogant philosophy that Solskjaer has been asking for in his United dressing room, but you, you just don't see that in first-team games. Um, Timothy fossi and Axel Twanzev are both continued returns from injury in the game. They both struggled in the air to be honest and and Twanzo's positioning was a bit off he'll need some more minutes in the 23s before he returns to first team action and 18 year old Ethan Laird has signed a new contract at United until 2023 with an option for an extra year really talented right back but needs to stay injury free and the 16 year old Shola Shota who scored in the FA Youth Cup has got a pre-contract agreement for his 17th birthday with United to sign a professional contract after some interest from European clubs Um, no action for United's women's side this week so let's move on to the FA Cup the C Senior FA Cup, um, Senior Men's FA Cup, where Manchester United played Derby County on Thursday night. Um, ridiculous scheduling, first of all. United der- uh, United against City in the Manchester Derby on Sunday. No need for United to play on Thursday again. And yet here we are with a, a march that I think the, the scheduling goes Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday um, for seven games. So... You can you can have do whatever you like on a, on a Friday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, but Sunday and Thursdays are reserved for Manchester United. Jack, how are you how are you seeing this this FA Cup? And it's an away tie at Derby in midweek. It's it's not the most attractive ties. I don't think any of the ties in the FA Cup are attractive because they've basically ruined it by putting it midweek. But but there yeah, we and go.
0: It also. It also seems this might just be me, but it seems like we've played Derby so much in cups in the last few years. This is like our third <laughs> different cup tie against them in the last couple of years, isn't it? It's always Derby, play, Derby play Wigan, in, in the Redding, FA cup and the League
1: Derby Reading, Wigan, or uh, all that kind of team. Preston as well that we seem to always play, apart from Wolves, obviously.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, well, Wolves we only we only play in January and February. <laughs> um, but I mean, it, I mean, the, obviously the big story from the game is Wayne Rooney playing against Manchester United once again. Yeah, which. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed the tie isn't at Old Trafford, because I, I would have loved to have seen the reception that Rooney got from a, yeah. a big Old Trafford crowd. In some ways, I think that that would have been a lovely moment for him. And I don't think there's there's not replays anymore in FA Cup quarterfinals, or was it the fifth round? Uh, I, I can't there, remember. Or, or, is, is or is this round the last one with, with replays? I can't even remember. They keep changing it every year. It might
1: year. be the last round, but... I don't think there's any free midweek, so it would cause something to be moved. Oh, well,
0: they'll just put us on a Saturday and a Sunday. <laughs> That's bad, it's fine.
1: The FA, <laughs> Two the, teams, FA yeah. just, the
0: FA just do what they want anyway. <laughs> yeah, Um But you know, I think it'll be a, it'll be a, an interesting time. I mean, it's not the most attractive, and it definitely seems like the kind of banana skin game that we may slip up in, I've got to say. But I, I think the signs from the last few weeks are definitely positive. You know, I have a lot more faith... In us against teams that want to sit back now than I did, say a month ago, partly because of the Bruno Fernandez signing, but also just because I think our team is playing with so much more confidence than we were before. So it'll be nice to see Rooney against his old his old team. I I'd be interested to see the the reaction that he gets from United fans, which I'm sure will be massively positive. But I think once we get on the pitch, hopefully we can get the, get the business done and, and kind of get out of there. I, I absolutely hate these ties against Lower league opposition because they you just can't really get anything positive out. They're of them.
1: never they're never that exciting. They're never that interesting, and they're they're never that fun. But an away day in derby for for the fans who are going to it is going to be great. I know there's I think there's about two hundred United fans who've put the same hotel in Nottingham. <laughs> Bloody hell! Yeah, in Nottingham City Centre. So the going big, big uni
0: town as well.
1: Yeah, so they're going from Derby to Nottingham straight after the game, and then out in Nottingham on a Thursday night um, oh in a in a big uni town, which yeah could. Could be some interesting <laughs> tales to tell from there, but yeah, it's never that interesting. It, it, the only intriguing thing about it is is who does Solskjaer play? Does he rest Bruno Fernandez? Does he rest Harry Maguire? Um, does he rest Anthony Marshall? There are lots of players who, who who don't yet look like they need a rest, but. This is a really busy month. We've got City, we've got Spurs, we've got Sheffield United, we've got the Europa League. There are there are lots of things, important games coming up. So what does he go for this? But let's talk about City because that's a more intre- interesting game. Um and a, a, a really tough one. Um Sunday, uh, a win and the, the Everton draw will basically be forgotten and the top four push will continue. But I think it's it's unlikely. I'd be I'd be more confident if we go to the Etihad where we've won twice consecutively in one season. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean the Etihad is basically our second home at this point. Uh, I, I think. Yeah, the dar- oh, I it's, it's so annoying also playing Derby and then having the Derby in the same week because I keep just wanting to say the Derby game or the, uh, the Derby every. Yeah,
1: week. I know it's 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 confused me a couple of times. But the,
0: yeah, I think the City game. I'm nervous. I'm not gonna lie. I'm I am nervous. I think the the news of of City's European ban seems to have galvanised them. They were losing their way a little bit and. I think they're what four four wins in a row since since the ban has, has yeah. I, th- come I out. think they've won
1: everything every game since they, the ban was announced. Yeah. yeah,
0: so they're a team in very good form, and it, and like you said, it seems like in recent years the Manchester derby is the away team seems to just come in and
1: and yeah, it's flipped. Yeah, do,
0: almost dominate. I mean. The last time City came to Old Trafford, obviously, just played us off the park for the first half hour. They they seem to always play well at Old Trafford recently, so it's going to be a tough game. I've, I've got to say, I'm not I'm not actually looking forward. I mean, I, I'm all, I always look forward to big games. Obviously, you always you're always up for them, you always get very excited for them. But in, I'm very apprehensive, probably more so than I was for any of our games against Liverpool
1: this season. I, this is I always say this. I'm always nervous and not looking forward to City. And always excited and confident when we go to play Liverpool. Yeah. Although I think this season might have been the first time that's changed round because I remember going going to the city for the even for the League Cup tie when we were behind, thinking, well, well, I, I think that was kind of because we had nothing to lose, thinking, well, this could this could be brilliant, and also the. The away game in the league as well. I remember going into that thinking, "This is I, I can't wait for this. We're going to beat them," and uh, and we did. Although in my head, I <laughs> kind of predicted us to lose, but my heart was saying we were going to win, and it it, it was brilliant. And going into the, a home game against City is slightly different. Um, how how does the midfield start, and should it be four or five at the back for this one? Should Brandon Williams come back into the team?
0: I think it probably should go to five at the back, just simply because it's worked so well for us in the, in the big games this season, and specifically against C- City. I think the midfield is where it's going to be tough because it's which which three of of McTominay, Fred, Matic and Fernandes, do you, do you play? You know, obviously, I think Fernandes is an absolute given. There's a, I don't think there's any chance that Fernandes won't be playing. And it really just comes down to who you want out of those other three to play in what will probably be two positions at sort of the base of that midfield. I'd be tempted to stick with Fred and McTominay just simply because of the better movement that they have. I think especially City's midfield is so fluid. The movement is so good that having that extra mobility in there is a big positive. But Matic's experience and, you know, to be fair, he has been very, very good recently. So I don't really think we can go that wrong. And I think Matic probably will get the nod just simply because yeah. even though McTominay has come back and played a few games, his probably match fitness probably isn't quite up to scratch just yet. Yeah, I
1: think I'd go for a five at the back with the the Williams and Shaw kind of left back pivots there. Um, they've been covering for each other well. Shaw's been playing yeah. well. Williams hasn't hasn't played as much as he as he was doing recently. I think going forward, it, it's also quite a hard decision because you know you're playing Mar- uh, Anthony Marshall. Do you start with Odin Ighalo? And I think I think I might uh, just for someone who's going to stay in the box. I would definitely be tempted. Yeah.
0: Oh, and I, and I think you know the hold up play of Igalo against Club Bruges was genuinely genuinely brilliant. And. Uh, it's it's the worst part of, of Martial's game as a striker. It's that there was a, a genuinely big, big difference when Egallo played against Club Bruges in that we we had someone who could, you know, win us some cheap free kicks when we when we we're under pressure. I mean not yeah. not that we were under pressure that often against Club Bruges. But I, I think against City, when we are under pressure, you you look back at uh the second half of both the League Cup tie at the Etihad and the league game at the Etihad where we were pretty much camped on the edge of our own box for the entire half and we probably only had about two or three times where we managed to get out of our own half and spring a counter-attack and, yeah. I, and I'm not saying that Igalo necessarily will will make that happen you know 10-15 times a half but I do think that he would give us a better opportunity to get a little bit of respite even if it's just drawing some cheap fouls I think he could end up having a a much bigger bigger impact. So I'd be tempted to go with him and Martial in a sort of 3-5-2
1: or 5-3-2 formation. Yeah, you so split strikers and you've got Greenwood and Dan James to bring off the bench and and maybe... Uh, a change in formation um, we should wrap things up there Yeah, that's all we have time for on the Manchester United weekly podcast thank you for listening as always the last time United beat City I've just checked this three times in a single season was in the 2009-10 season when we played them in the League Cup semi-finals uh, we went through that time but we'll we'll see if it happens again I have quite it enjoyed be, uh, uh,
0: even though City obviously won the League Cup at the weekend getting almost no headlines or publicity about it because <laughs> of Liverpool losing which has been quite yeah, nice
1: it was kind of the perfect mixture of, of the two I think United and Everton fans were both in, a, in agreement at that on, on Sunday at Goodison Park um, yeah. as I said thanks as always for listening for more from us throughout the week you can find Jack on Twitter at, at utdtate T-A-I-T and you can find me on Twitter at Harry Robinson 64 and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod that's P-O-D at the end there cheers for listening have a great week enjoy the, the derby game if you go in and the city game at home bye Network.